0: Welcome to the Environmental Leadership Chronicles, a podcast brought to you by the California Association of Environmental Professionals. This is a second episode in a series focusing on current events related to the California Environmental Quality Act, known as CEQA, which is intended to inform government decision makers and the public about the potential environmental effects of proposed activities and to prevent significant, avoidable environmental damage. In this episode, we have a panel featuring Andrew Keats, Howard Blackson, and Kristen Blackson, and is moderated by Laurel glass The panel offers diversity and perspectives on CEQA as it relates to the California Supreme Court ruling regarding the UC Berkeley housing case. Andrew's a managing editor of Voice of San Diego. He sees land use coverage as a way to make sense of the complex land use decisions governments make while explaining how those decisions affect the daily lives of San Diegans. Howard is an urban designer, author, lecturer, and educator with over 30 years of experience. He works with ABRP Studios in San Diego, managing the design and entitlement of mixed use projects and codes for public and private clients across North America. And we welcome Kristen back to join the panel. She is Senior Sequoia Project Manager with Harrison Associates, a member of the California AEP State Board and co-chair of the Legislative Committee. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Hi, I'm Laurel, and welcome to Environmental Leadership Chronicles. This is the second in our CEQA series and the first in a panel experience. We have an awesome panel for you today to talk about our reflections on the recent UC Berkeley, California Supreme Court case and uh, the recent unanimously approved Senate Bill 118. So I'm going to give a quick background on that to bring our listeners up to speed. And then each of our panelists are going to describe how they're a little bit biased when it comes to this topic. And uh, we'll go into an open discussion from there. I'm really excited to see what everybody has to say. We've got um, all sorts of opinions to discuss. So firstly, in the UC Berkeley, California Supreme Court case, basically CEQA requires public universities to mitigate the environmental impacts of their growth and development, uh, especially in their long-range planning efforts, including student enrollment increases. So to ensure that um, the University of California sufficiently mitigate significant off-campus impacts related to campus growth and development, the university is required periodically to develop a comprehensive long-range development plan for each campus based on the academic goals and projected enrollment. This is very similar to plans of development for buildings and like general plans, community plans, et cetera. The plan must be analyzed in an environmental impact report per California Environmental Quality Act. A 2005 EIR analyzed a development plan and projected enrollment increases for the UC Berkeley campus specifically. And opponents... Uh, claimed that the UC system violated CEQA by increasing enrollment well beyond the growth projected in the 2005 EIR without conducting any further environmental review. And there was a big to-do about it. And it was challenged. And basically, um, the opposers of that issue wanted to not prevent students from enrolling. They wanted to encourage students to attend campus. And very quickly, the legislature via Senate Bill 118 changed how CEQA applies to colleges, providing higher education institutions with an 18-month window to certify court-ordered EIRs before an enrollment freeze can be ordered by a judge. And basically, the, the key factor here in SB 118 is that the court decided, or the legislature decided, increasing enrollment will not be treated the same way as a building project in terms of evaluating environmental impact. Um, it, it also allows colleges to consider the environmental impact of their campus population rather than their enrollment. So without getting super technical and diving into that at first, it, it basically means that um, UC Berkeley thought that they were going to have to reject over 3,000 students uh, based on CEQA and SB 118 basically said no. And so all of the students that wanted to enroll can now enroll, period. And the main issue surrounding it was housing and how um, students were perceived under the California Environmental Quality Act. So let's start before we dig into how the media responded to this, which was very interesting, let's acknowledge our biases as a panel. I'll start. Uh, I am biased because I am a CEQA practitioner. I'm on the board of directors for the California Association of Environmental Professionals, and we help implement CEQA and its underlying principles. We have lobbyists in Sacramento that educate legislators about CEQA um, trying to prevent things like this that are happening and the confusion and unintended consequences. And so I'm um, very opinionated when it comes to CEQA. And um, I believe Kristen Blackson is too. So I'm going to hand it over to you to discuss your bias as a practitioner.
2: Ditto. Ditto. I have the exact same biases. I am a CEQA practitioner, uh, also on the Association of Environmental Professionals uh, state board, and I serve uh, as the co-chair of our uh, legislative committee. So, I um, I have a strong bias uh, because this is what I do, and also I my bias is to bring better efficiency to CEQA. So I do have a bias and it is to do CEQA better all the time. Um, There's
1: mine. Understood. And let's go to Howard, who's an urban designer. Let's acknowledge your biases.
3: Uh, I'm married to Kristen Blackson, so whatever (laughs) she says, fine with me. No, (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, Hi, thank you I wish that was true. It, it is true. So anyway, um, we uh, the, the the image behind me is, in, is on purpose. I, I actually met Kristen when uh, she was an environmental manager beginning of the County of San Diego, and I was an urban planner working on a general plan update. Uh, this was uh, 20, 20 years ago. And um, 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 I'm an urban designer working with cities and towns and neighborhoods to try to create great human places that are in balance with nature, that are imbalanced with economics, that are imbalanced with you know, social uh, justice issues as well. So the the idea of that, um, the bias I have is that CEQA's baseline um, uh, 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 mitigation point starting at zero is pristine nature. And you can look over my shoulder and there's not a lot of pristine nature. In this urban environment, so everything that's does is, that is it is done here is measured against a false background or a false context because there is not pristine nature in our cities. There's man-made uh, habitats um, and there's also natural habitats that go together. So my bias is that it it doesn't begin with the uh, any idea of human uh, habitation or human occupancy of uh, of land that was once pristine nature, 400, 500, a thousand years ago.
1: Thanks, Howard. I'll also add that he was my professor at UC San Diego Extension for uh, Urban Planning and Development. And I also want to acknowledge that we're all um, originally starting our work in San Diego. So even though I'm physically located in Santa Barbara, this is more of a San Diego panel. And I'll also add that Howard is not a Sequoia practitioner, but is indeed an urban designer. And
3: However, however, uh-huh. my background my background is as a, was a, as a board member of the downtown redevelopment agency. We rec- we had to review CEQA documents and review CEQA issues, threats from the unions over hotels, uh, mostly. And um, and and then as a practitioner, I got to be hired by places like. Um, Kilroy to look at the one paseo where the threats from the neighboring shopping center use CEQA to stop it. And then as a county and city of San Diego worker, I had to use CEQA as a tool for public disclosure with that. So I do have quite a bit of CEQA experience, but it's full spectrum. Therefore, I think I have the most complete analysis <laughs> of it.
1: Valid. Thank you for sharing. Let's go to Andy, who also has a different perspective.
4: Yeah, so I'm uh, not a sequel professional by any stretch of the imagination. I am a newspaper reporter. I cover land use and development and local politics. Um, Each of those specific issues that Howard just listed, I've covered each of those. Um, So I'm familiar with uh, sequel disputes from the perspective of being in the uncomfortable position of trying to be something of an arbiter of those disputes. And so I think my bias is mostly against uh, dishonest public policy arguments. Um, and I think there are a lot of those in the world of CEQA. I think there's a lot of people talking past each other and making bad faith um, arguments that um, are predicated on not listening to what uh, what people are saying or pretending that the uh, dispute is something other than it really is. Um, we can get into the details on, on what I mean by those um, over the course of time. But Uh, I will also add that I do not – I I work for Voice of San Diego. We're a nonprofit online news website, and um, unlike many uh, reporters, I do not uh, claim to be objective. I don't um, think that that is a thing that exists, and I uh, acknowledge that uh, openly. We have a whole list of of principles that we uh, expect our reporters to abide by that are important but that are not the traditional objective standard that um, reporters, that people learn about in high school. Um, And so that being the case, I'll lay my cards on the table and say that uh, from a policy perspective, I think the state of California and large cities in California uh, have a dire uh, housing shortage. They need to provide much, much, much more housing in already developed urban areas and that doing so can uh, allow the preservation of pristine nature elsewhere in the state and prevent uh, environmentally ruinous sprawl. And to the extent that CEQA inhibits those two efforts, I think that it is a law that uh, is in need of reform. And I'll uh, be open about
1: that. Thank you. Yeah, I think, I think that a lot of us, whether we um, are CEQA practitioners or not, based on recent media attention and ongoing media attention when it comes to CEQA and how it's used as a tool for various reasons, can agree that um, things need to be improved upon and reformed and evolved over time. So let's start um, specifically communicating about how it, how CEQA has been characterized related to the UC Berkeley case specifically. I want to open up by quoting an article by the Greenbelt Alliance called UC Berkeley is the latest victim of sequa misuse. And the quote that I want y'all's reaction to is um, this win, this win, the fact that the Supreme court case um, is allowing increased student enrollment at UC Berkeley is avoiding an alarming precedent of categorizing students as pollutants and I would like to uh, start with Kristen tell me your reaction to the media's characterization that students are pollutants and that's a wrong way of describing them in environmental law. Students as pollutants um
2: It, it, it causes, um, I think what it does is, and when Andy said, you know, people talk over each other and they don't, you know, they're not talking about the right things. I think this is an example of, of bringing, uh, things that we don't need to discuss into CEQA, like by labeling students as pollutants. What CEQA does is we focus on physical impacts. So, um. So we have to keep the argument there, you know, students as pollutants, uh, what do students do that causes impacts to the environment? It's not students, it is uh, the demand that the the school brings to the area. So distinguishing that way, I think is better than than, than seeing, uh, you know, and then seeing students as balloons because it's not a good community argument where you have to work with the community to get to accommodate these polluters, these awful students. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so, and, and, and that's part of Berkeley's problem is um, if you go back to them, you know, trying to implement their housing that was described in the 2005 EIR, there's a history of the community not working with the institution to make that work. Um, so that's what I think.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll I'll back up to, uh, for our young listeners to understand this, is basically the media is saying CEQA characterizes students as pollutants, whereas CEQA practitioners assess, as Kristen said, the physical impacts of a thing, of a project. And the project in this case is that UC Berkeley has a lot of um, students coming and you need to accommodate them via housing as well. And when you talk about housing, you talk about transportation, vehicle miles traveled, wastewater, water demand, energy demand, everything that goes into a human being occupying a habitat, basically. Um, And it's regardless if it's a student or not, it it is a um, dwelling unit, really, is what I, I would personally suggest the media should have clarified, is that in this case, Um, they're categorizing dwelling units as pollutants, which um, Howard, I'd like to go to you and think as an urban designer who talks about density and where to place it and why to place it and how to place it. uh, What are your thoughts about students as pollutants versus like dwelling unit as pollutant?
3: Um, Yeah, Um, the idea that, housing is separate from um, um, people um, is always an interesting you know, concept uh, to me um, because of the many factors that you said. Um, yeah, the idea that a dwelling unit is uh, also uh, uh, something to be measured in outer space when it's in relationship to anything, a neighborhood, a city, a campus, um, um, a block. Um is uh, and then how you measure that? Just, I think it just shows that the sequence bias towards human being is a bad thing uh, to be mitigated for. It shows itself here. But what I uh, what I what I what I want to offer in response to that is the how, idea of units. And um, the idea that really the Berkeley's only gonna lose about 500 positions rather than 3,500 because they're gonna, instead of counting enrollment, they're gonna count as students on campus versus the new um, um, COVID, post COVID. Um, here we are gonna be studying remotely. Those are still in housing. And so, um, but the housing isn't directly related to the study area. And so um, I think that that disconnect is just showing the, the uh, reason why CEQA needs to be reformed from its baseline um, from its baseline um, expectation that humans are bad for the environment. Um, just the way that we had to reform, we're having to reform zoning today to say that the basis of all housing is a single-family detached home that has to be then you know zoned and run zoned and rezone to make it into a an urban place or an urban city. Uh, So the baseline of of zoning was based on a flawed concept and the baseline of CEQA is showing itself here is based on another flawed concept. So we can reform this stuff.
1: And Andy. Yeah,
4: I I think I'm pretty much with with Howard here. I I, um, will come to the defense of my media brethren and say that I think uh, they have distilled the essence of this dispute Correctly. Uh, I understand why a secret practitioner would want the increased specificity of uh, the, the built environment is the thing that is being mitigated against. Uh, but I think the reporters are right here to uh, look to the upshot of this, which is 3,000 fewer students. Uh, it, it had the ruling held uh, not being allowed to go to UC Berkeley. And um, so, so the thing that was being mitigated against here um it, you know there may be a, a specific instance in in which it isn't students per se uh but nonetheless the the, the impacts fall on those students and so I it think is, go ahead go ahead. i sorry.
2: think that the mistake here that the legislators did not um did not come to the defense of the students when they were trying to build the housing um i think that's where the sequel you know the CEQA remedy should have come in. You know, if it was so easy, if they could have in two weeks come up with the bill that Laurel described in the beginning, then, um, you know, they, they should have probably acted faster for housing in Berkeley. Um, Berkeley when we're talking about housing in Berkeley, this university is particularly is located, you know, in an area with, Tremendous mass transit, um, and so we don't have to worry about things that we have to worry about at UC San Diego, which is how do the, how are the students going to drive to the campus? That's not the you know the case. Is that you can build housing in Berkeley. Uh, and it's the right location to build because they don't need infrastructure like parking garages and parking spaces. Uh, they don't already, you know, the, if the, like Laurel said, you know, they've already accounted for the sewage and the water demand, and everything is still, you know, is there. So. Um,
4: well, and 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 your your point is not just an academic one in that um, three thousand students being excluded from Berkeley based on this ruling. Uh, they would not have ceased to exist. Those are highly competitive students. They would have gone down the UC system to the next most competitive school after UC Berkeley. So what is that? UCLA or UC San Diego, uh, UC, UC Santa Barbara, Barbara, UC Santa Barbara, yeah, right? We'll and 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 then and then those students that would be pushed down from those would go down the line to the next one. And so, uh, it, the, and 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 so that circles back to Howard's point about the limitations of the study area that that excluding the 3,000 students from Berkeley doesn't exclude them from their global climate impact. And that's just, uh, unless you guys who know more about the law than I do, that's just a fundamental limitation of CEQA um, that I believe is, is, is a serious one when, at least in my experience, when you see legislators talk about CEQA reform or, or uh, less productively just talk about CEQA in harsh terms, um, a common response to them is well get a load of this guy he doesn't like the environment get you know get a load of this guy he doesn't care um, about the climate effects that we're trying to mitigate against. Um, but but that's you know that's the, the the talking past each other point of this in that um, in that there nothing nothing beneficial was done for the environment by excluding 3,000 students from UC Berkeley's uh, immediate campus area in fact, it's, it's hard to say for sure, but given what you've said about Berkeley, it's almost certain that wherever those 3,000 people ended up besides Berkeley, it was going to be worse for the environment. So it's, it, was an, it was a net negative for the goal of preventing carbon from being released into the atmosphere. Uh, and it was done in the name of the, the California Environmental Quality
1: Act. Well, and I'll add that that it, this whole SB 118 and all the thing didn't solve the actual problem. No. It, it just it didn't, didn't make more housing it didn't make more housing and there are um existing streamlining tools that we collectively as a community have worked very very diligently with the legislature and approving um infill housing streamlining and i mean it's been a topic at aep for years we've done full seminar institutes with it uh Kristen and the legislative committee have briefed uh, legislators on it and proposed streamlining tools. So CEQA is not, not to get in the way of infill housing that is supposed to solve this problem. Yeah.
4: Well, so let me, well, I'll. so I've defended the media here. And um, going back to your that headline that you read that we started with, uh, I do have a media criticism. Um, and that is the use of the word misuse, um, which is a normative claim. That they're saying that there is a intended purpose of CEQA and that this uh, court case is not it, that this is a distinct misuse of the law. I think, A, that that is certainly an assertion that could be challenged, and B, probably not one I would agree with, that assertion. I think the historical record of CEQA, how it was passed, when it was passed, by whom it was passed, is pretty clear And I think if you were to stare into the abyss on that one, you'd have to conclude that this is exactly how SQL was intended to be used. They were not public transparency advocates. They were not people whose primary interest was disclosure, although people often say it's a disclosure law, and that is true. The reason for the passage was to stop development. I mean, that was was the, the era of of uh, housing law throughout the throughout California, in Los Angeles, and so Santa ben Monica, in front of, So then the explain why so
1: much
2: development point, occurred from 70 to 80 to 90. That was when we blew up and it stopped nothing.
4: Well, it stopped a lot of things in places like the coastal zone, which was, you know, when the coastal height limit in California, in San Diego was passed, which was a uh, contemporary of the of sequoia um the creation of the california Co- coastal commission uh prohibited development it was a, a contemporary of sequoia um, you what it, what you did see was quite a bit of sprawl because perhaps this was unintended or again maybe in an ugly way perhaps it wasn't was intended turns out the easiest thing to do with sequoia is sprawl hmm.
1: mm-hmm. I would I would disagree with that. Um but I would I would say that there are
4: fewer na- there are fewer neighbors to stand up and re- and and protest something in an area that isn't already developed. And so
1: True.
4: And and so I I would I think now th- now this again I I think this is something that people could debate, but was it was that unintended? Did people not realize that or were they selfish and they just didn't want development near them and if it was going to be pushed out into the into the back country? And that the, you know, the mechanism that they created to uh, as a public disclosure, because you know, these were all First Amendment crusaders um, that that, that um, they uh, did so knowingly. I don't know. You tell me. I right.
2: think Let's I think you're putting too much weight onto CEQA. And I think that CEQA cannot prevent bad planning. And I think in the when it was first enacted, it was. A process, uh, you know, check boxes. Um, but then we became we it became more of a mitigation tool. We started looking at our resources, categorizing our resources, looking at our resources in a regional level. That was a good thing, cannot be denied. And um, until we had greenhouse gas guidelines and vehicle miles travel guidelines, you may be right. You know because people could propose and mitigate whatever they wanted but until we we had guidelines and thresholds that 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 uh locked us into location like greenhouse gas does and the new hall ranch decision did um you i think you probably could be right but now as sequa exists it is it does not enable sprawl i i disagree with that
1: i i disagree th- those are
4: changes within the last five years right?
1: uh and yeah 10 years. it takes a long time i mean that like get those yeah
4: vmt implementation was yeah
1: well no. and oh, i thought so you said greenhouse gas let's let's continue on to um another article whose headline you know doesn't say misuse but says berkeley case proves sequa needs to be reformed that seems to be something that we've all Agreed on. Uh, let me continue on, on, a, on a quote. It's a little bit long, so bear with me here, but housing is the top target of CEQA, period. A study of all CEQA lawsuits filed in Southern California over three years found more than 14,000 housing units were targeted. Even though environmental advocates want housing to be built at higher densities in urban neighborhoods served by transit, of these CEQA lawsuits challenged projects planned in existing communities. 78% were in transit priority areas and 70% were in whiter, wealthier and healthier communities. The quote ends to say, CEQA's inconvenient truth is clear. Courts are used to protect the existing environment against change. So now I know that's a lot of of information to react to. My first reaction is, yeah, that makes sense. I've experienced in Southern California, where CEQA is used to challenge projects planned in existing communities and in transit priority areas, which is totally the opposite of what you would think it would be. It would be used for, um, and that's. That's why I do think in those cases where it's used as a political tool, as a way to stop things, um, to challenge things, to drag things out in court, to make it more expensive. That's when I think CEQA is misused, because it's not the idea isn't to protect um, whatever baseline conditions or mitigate to a level below significance. The idea there is to prevent you know, what I don't want in my backyard, uh, NIMBYism. And um, another comment I have is that there is media attention around CEQA most used to prevent development in wider wealthier high resource locations, suggesting that CEQA is effectively being used to uphold our history of redlining and discriminatory housing practices. That's a hefty conversation, but I think that that's true. I think that CEQA is so complicated, so interconnected among resource areas that it is super easy to use it as a political tool in protecting what particular types of populations want. And I do think that that is a misuse because that isn't the idea behind it, the intent isn't to disclose environmental impacts and reduce them to a level below significance. The idea in that case is to prevent what they don't want. They don't, you know, what particular very specific communities don't want. So with that rambling, (laughs) Howard, do you have a reaction to those comments?
3: Well, um, there were a lot, (laughs) I will admit. And the last thing you said is the one that I took the notes on. So just um, the issue that level of significance measurement is are all based on really bad thresholds, and those really bad thresholds were developed in the '70s when everything was, as Andy described, being built a suburban sprawl, and so that became the standard. The noise levels are quiet suburban sprawl. The the trap whatever the levels of threshold of significance are, they're all measured and metered towards. Building suburban sprawl. So when you apply it to the place behind me, it doesn't. They don't fit. You can't make it quiet enough. You can't make it less uh, um, uh, air pollution. You can't. You can't make those thresholds because they're set at suburban levels from the 1970s, and it's very difficult for uh, cities to um, um, understand the political, the the, the great power that uh, that updating those thresholds will have in the, within the process because. Once again, I'll, I'm not, I think the processes need a reform. I'm not, I'm not advocating for the, uh, the, to get rid of the process. Um, but uh, um, um, the, the point you're making of social justice having very little value in the CEQA's environmental justice um, um, trajectory is it's time to update it. It's just like anything else. The, 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 the priorities and the values of the 70s have passed. And the priorities and the values of today are, are, are completely different and more urban. And CEQA needs to, like, you've got, well, before you started in this question, So oh, yeah, 10 years ago, we began the level of service. And it takes time. One of you said it takes time to make those changes. Well, the time is right now. So that 10 years from now, we're behind the ball, 10 years from whatever we're trying to do at that time. So it needs to be reformed or it's just going to get further and further uh, stuck in time. And, I- and less relevant. And more and more able to get rid of, more able to uh, to to dismiss if you can't keep up.
1: I'll I'll also clarify that thresholds of significance get updated regularly by local jurisdictions on an ongoing basis. They're not statewide usually. They're you know oh, tailored. No, no they're local. And yeah, they're they're local. So which
3: which, 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 so which I don't. I'd like to hear one in San Diego. One of the seventeen. You know, whatever the cities and county anyway go ahead
1: well and that's what i also wanted to mention for those of you that are listening and not watching howard's background is the city of san diego uh, specifically downtown san diego bay and coronado island that he's referencing and um to that end um sequel gets updated regularly and we mentioned that it sometimes it takes a really long time because things are extremely complicated and re- require some engineering and analysis however as we saw in the case of SB118, <laughs> things can happen very swiftly in a couple weeks should the sure. legislature yeah. should the legislature want it so when we talk about sequa reform, um, I get pretty pumped up because CEQA is um, in my professional opinion, a mitigation tool on the back end of a project. It's not how you plan a eco-friendly, sustainable project on the front ends. And also CEQA does not um, have streamlining benefits for environmentally beneficial projects. Usually some some of it does. Um, And the legislature can make really big changes very quickly, like having sequa exemptions where you don't have to go through this process for projects, but,
3: but exemptions are not reform. Exemptions are not reform
1: Well, what I'm exemptions to- are just this
3: thing is not working, so we're going to wipe it
1: out. It's not things aren't working. It's that um politically, I would want a stadium and I would want the Olympics yeah. more than I would want and I'm saying I, meaning the state of California, would want, yeah, go ahead, Andy.
4: Well, yeah, so I think you're getting at something important here. I mean, you're you're right, whether it's a stadium or whether it's uh, what they did in in Berkeley, it's a hack. It's (laughs) saying there's this giant uh, bundle of policy and we don't have the political capital or the political will or the votes to make the necessary changes to holistically change this document. So let's just slap a patch on it and fix this one thing and make these bad headlines go away. And that's bad. But I I think underneath of it, it's more revealing than, and, and, and so I'll go back to um, the, the story you just described, um, which a, I appreciate you reading that that had the study and numbers that were necessary to validate the opinion, the, the, Opinion I had stated just like four minutes previously, so I'd like the record to reflect that those numbers were uh, put in into the public record by by me or or to my benefit. Uh, so refer when you hear this this thing, refer back to that point. Those numbers are for that. Um, so I, uh, I I think there there is a fraught uh, assertion in that story though as well, which is, says environmental advocates uh, said something like, although environmental advocates say that we need dense housing in urban areas, uh, CEQA prevents that from happening. I would say, which environmental advocates? Because it is simply the case that there are plenty of environmental advocates do, that who do not share that belief. Now, you can dispute whether they're right or wrong, but they exist. There's a lot of environmental advocates who are not on the MB train, who do not who have not subscribed to the importance of infill or they do so only rhetorically and yet they manage to find a problem with every single infill project because they're a different brand of environmental advocate or at least they consider themselves an environmental advocate. You can dispute whether they uh, deserve that label but they call themselves environmental advocates and what they want is less development, is less growth. And I would further add, those are the environmental advocates that were... At the base of CEQA back when it was passed, the no-growth movement existed. Like you know, Reluctant Metropolis by Bill Fulton lays out the history of it quite clearly. These were not infill advocates that were creating a disclosure mechanism to make sure bad projects died and good projects succeeded. They believed that we were headed to an environmental cliff because of population growth, and they wanted to stop it. That is the that is the world out of which this law passed. So. I I just maybe the implications here are misuse that this is not the intent of the law, but we should at least leave room for the possibility that this is exactly what the law is intended to do.
1: Interesting that you that you bring that up because I think uh, we can argue all different sides of the purpose and intent and why and the background and the context for when it was originally. Um, proposed and how it's changed over time. The fact is that it does exist today and um, it's yeah. confusing. And I have another quote that kind of directs or clarifies why it's confusing. For example, uh, Phil Bachavoy, he's the president of Save Berkeley's mm-hmm. Neighborhoods. In this case, he previously called um, the SB 118 legislation poorly drafted and confusing And at the hearing on the matter, he urged lawmakers not to pass SB 118. So again, this is the guy who wants to save Berkeley's neighborhoods, but said don't pass SB 118 to allow the enrollment increase because he argued that UC Berkeley does not have the capacity to handle additional students on campus. And he goes, goes on to quote, additional students will put more pressure on the local housing market and increase rents for everybody hitting low-income students and low-income non-student families the hardest. We don't want students to live in cars, campers, and hotel rooms like they've been doing in Santa Barbara. And more students will result in more crowded classes and stretched student support services, making it hard to graduate in four years. We'd like to see the legislature instead increase enrollment only after UC has increased housing for their students. Um, I have thoughts on this. I think that he is talking about things that don't relate to CEQA, but I also agree with um, like things that don't hit CEQA is like uh, the local housing market increasing rents for everybody. That's not a CEQA matter. Um, And I can understand how you don't want students to live in campers and cars and hotel rooms like they've been doing in Santa Barbara Um, I, it's not a sequel matter that more students will result in more crowded classes. That's not a sequel matter or stretch student support services, not a sequel matter. That's administrative, um, making it hard to graduate in four years is not a sequel matter. Kristen, do you have thoughts? It it's I I think what it brings up is
2: that everyone expects, and I think Andy and Howard are included in this, that, that to Sequa to solve all the problems of bad planning. And so the the purpose, I mean, if you whittle it down, UC Berkeley has a bad plan. They have more students than they can accommodate. So it's not up to Sequa to solve that. Um and I think that's where the legislators go wrong in their Band-Aid exemptions and their Band-Aid solutions to, to solving CEQA. Um, is that, it? Confu- like you said, it confuses everything and it, it, it just throws out the whole disclosure and mitigate the impacts. Um, so if, you're, if you're, doing, you're exempting a whole thing like the Olympics and all of the infrastructure that goes on with that, then you know, what are you doing? You know, what's the purpose? High-speed rail, same thing.
1: I like, um, I like what he said at the end, because after all that, after all, discussing how all these things aren't sequel issues, he says, we'd like to see the legislature instead increase enrollment only after UC has increased housing for their students. That would be a better plan in my, in my opinion, Kristen, their, their long range plan of development, if it addressed housing for their capacity, um, that would mitigate yeah. the issue altogether, and as but that you know, puts it to Howard's to Howard's is that you know those students
2: still exist; they just have to live further away.
4: Right, and 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 it smacks to me of, you know, well we we don't oppose this housing project; we just oppose this housing project until you can build, uh, you know sufficient public transportation right. to provide for them. Yeah. Meanwhile, when you propose the public transportation, we're going to oppose that to make sure <laughs> that you can't do it. And it's right. like, and, and, and like, you know, this isn't happening in a vacuum. Berkeley has a fraud history of allowing sufficient housing. I don't think, you know, I, I'm, I don't have, uh, I don't have complete, uh, uh, you know, awareness of, of everything that the, the university has done to build housing over the last 20 years. But uh, I would be surprised to learn that the people who opposed this uh, that filed this lawsuit um, had been staunch advocates for the development of more housing over recent history.
3: It's it's the it's the typical infrastructure deficit disorder that's used to say you can't have it. You know, you can't have more people till you have a better water system from, you know, the Colorado River. Okay, thanks. Um, it's, It's disingenuous.
1: It's interesting that you that you bring that up. I mean, I think, again, if we simplify it, which I think the media overcomplicates it. But if we simplify it, the point is that increased population density, which is what student enrollment is, student enrollment beyond a threshold is increased population density. So if you're planning a community, if you're doing a community plan or like a form based code or some sort of um, urban design effort. Yeah, you got it, Howard. Um, you, you look at (laughs) population growth and density and the environmental impacts of that density of that population growth for any development, regardless of its type. And it results in environmental impacts. Now, Seek wasn't saying, no, uh, you have an impact. Therefore you, you shan't do anything. (laughs) That's not what Mm -hmm. happens. It just says you have to analyze it and then inform the decision makers who make the decision based on that. Um, And I think in this case for everyone, not everyone, let me um, back up a second, for folks to say uh, this is students as pollutants, is just missing the whole point. The whole point is that regardless of development, it's population density and uh like if this if the if the uc berkeley long-range plan of development was a general plan for the county of san diego or general plan for the county of santa barbara and they analyzed population density but they were going to have more population than what was analyzed in the eir that is an impact that needs to be reanalyzed, recirculated and decided upon and the legislature in this case said nope you don't need to it's fine go ahead and as a secret practitioner it bothers me that that was such a sweeping, easy change because the topic was students. And they just made this like sweeping, easy change. When we have all these other projects in California where there'll be an environmental benefit and will be a well-planned project and be economically supportive and like has these triple bottom line benefits to everything, but don't get CEQA streamlining tools. Don't get the attention of the government. And the reason why this case did is because they were literally calling students as pollutants and what political, what person up for reelection <laughs> or is going to go, oh, you know what? I disagree. Or, you know, I agree. Students are pollutants.
3: Well, And that's because CEQA won't doesn't take into account economic benefits and doesn't take into account um, right. social justice social justice. Issues and benefits to right this second, even though those that's the reform or those are the updates that are going to happen right now. Um, And
2: it's because politics should never play into planning or CEQA, but politics are all over both. And how
3: how is that? But that's not possible if your decision makers are elected officials that have to certify your EIR. That makes it a political act.
2: If if I I, rule the world, that's what I would keep out of planning. Well, That's, I think that
4: right. I, I I would love that world, and Kristen, too. I'm sure that the world that you would be the ruler of up. would be one I would love to live in for other reasons as well. However, <laughs> lots Sequa,
2: of
4: fish playing. <laughs> is written and passed by politicians. It is interpreted and passed by decision makers who are politicians. Yeah. There's no wishing yeah. politics out of this. And yes. you know, I I think Laurel's point is is spot on that um, the the politics of Berkeley were such that they had an opportunity to act and if you go back 10 years to the last time that anybody made a real sustained effort to pursue sequel reform uh, which was governor jerry brown um he was tarred by legislators to his left who are elected officials as being an enemy of the environment for for daring to propose uh you know a, a more complete sequel reform proposal um and so you know the the I guess what I would say is back to my point that which environmental advocates are, uh, you know, agree that 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 these changes are necessary. Not many of the ones who are in the State Assembly and the State Senate whose votes are required to make the sorts of big changes um, and rather they you you have the votes for um, essentially spot zone the spot Exemption zoning applied to CEQA. spot exemptions are the the easy political answer to a otherwise difficult political problem
1: and so and, and
3: one one other political i'm sorry go ahead there's right, so one other political problem that is uh, and hasn't been mentioned is uh, Berkeley is there there's an uh, underlying long standing town gown issues that happen with most universities in a located in a smallish town and the town gown issues um you're not going to overcome as Kristen says seek was not going to overcome those sorts of issues so there's lots of those types of issues not not just town gown but you know suburban shopping center versus suburban shopping center labor versus um, um, uh, the chamber, all those issues exist in every city all across uh, California, okay. and CEQA can't solve for that. They just can, like Andy hasn't said yet, but uh, the, the disclosure is there's quite a bit of information that's put out into the public with the with environmental documents that help the idea of how to mitigate for population increases and what are the issues we have to solve for in our certain region, which are extremely important and extremely inform- informative. Um, that, However, that doesn't mean that makes for better planning. Actually though, I do have a problem with CEQA practitioners doing a lot of planning after the initial plan is done because we do not do a good job of planning and public process in the planning realm to develop that project description at the beginning at the towards the beginning and working together with the CEQA planning practitioners to come up with the right alternatives once the environmental issues are analyzed and disclosed that weren't done at the front end so instead of spending you know well I can't talk about I, instead of spending a lot of money to get <laughs> two different plans over the same period of time you can spend less money less time to come up with those preferred scenario preferred plan and scenarios That 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 push it either way, in one process. But we separate them into two, and the back end gets most of the best planning, which is why you don't see the best planning because secret practitioners are not master planning, site design, urban design, urban planning professionals.
1: Mm -hmm. The same, yeah, and the converse is true because you know master planners, urban designers aren't environmental experts or environmental. Have
3: no idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think. Right.
3: What are the thresholds? We don't even know what the thresholds are. We just complain about them. (laughs)
1: <laughs> this is a really good opportunity, I think, to wrap up on a um, positive note. So, so we have discussed how none of us want to throw Sequa out the window. There are, I, I, I imagine in our Sequa well, series, we're gonna, in yeah, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to bring some other people on the podcast that are gonna talk about how the media and some politicians every year, they're always proposing just get rid of CEQA altogether. So that's not what this panel believes. We we have, we have concur that CEQA needs to be reformed. We concur that it has a purpose and intent, but it needs to be reformed. Um, so on a positive note, I wanna go around the panel and I want you to provide me one, two-ish um, solutions. Like if you had your way, what would you change? For example, Howard just mentioned it's really a good idea to have environmental professionals and master planners at the start of a project to develop the project description. That might solve a lot of our problems that we try to mitigate on the back end. And quite frankly, it's more efficient. It, it reduces our negative externalities of the whole process altogether. So that's one. Um, I will also add on to that that I would love um, more streamlining tools for environmentally beneficial projects. I think it's possible and we can do that. And um, another solution I have is more uh, people being educated in the technicalities of CEQA, like maybe more CEQA practitioners, come join the Association of Environmental Professionals, membership is free for students, come learn and be a part of it and join Kristen's committee uh, in the legislature where you educate lawmakers about the unintended consequences of CEQA changes. And with that, I'll pass it over to Andy. Um, Maybe one or two solutions that you want to share.
4: Uh, I I, frankly, I think solutions might not be uh, the best world for me as a a non-practitioner. But I'll say this: is that I think that um, the we can quibble about what's intended and what's unintended, but outcomes are real. And we can observe them and we can describe them clearly. And the outcomes that result from a process, if we do not like them, that process is made by men and women and can be changed by men and women. And that is something that we should be open to rather than defensive of. And so... I think um, whether it's what we've described in Berkeley or a situation here in San Diego that um, Kristen has described as uh, as, a a failure of people who were involved in the process, which is is a sports arena redevelopment project that lost in court uh, on a CEQA case because very, very, very wealthy people who live up on a hill over top of this blighted area that was uh, attempted to be redeveloped into Uh, many homes and many uh, affordable homes, Um, uh, it it was thrown out because the city did not adequately study uh, what it would do to the views of the wealthy people who live up on the hill um, looking out over this uh, blighted area if they had tall buildings there. And um, that happened, That's that's a result of CEQA and we can decide that the people who were in charge of that project did a bad job Um, But we could also change the law so that we don't have to require people to do a great job all the time and can be more accommodating of mistakes because there's a lot of public officials in this city, in this state, and they're not all going to uh, be exemplary at all times. Um, Just like uh, basketball players and journalists and uh, police officers and uh, meter maids, they may in fact make mistakes and uh, we should do our best to, 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 to uh, achieve the outcomes we want without having people to be uh, perfect at their jobs.
1: That is an interesting point. Thank you, Andy. Um, Howard? I, for Howard, one, do um, not make mistakes, so, just so you know. <laughs> um, I mean, what, what I took away from Andy's point also was uh, engagement. Um, when you engage in these processes, you have an impact on the outcomes uh, or you, you can influence outcomes and outcomes are real and we observe those things. So I, I really hope that listeners are empowered to be more involved because things like this are happening on a real-time basis all the way from the meter maids all the way up to the governor. Like you have an impact on all the things. So um, thanks, Andy. I like the positive note. Howard, positive note.
3: Um, Well, a positive note for me that I could think of um, is there is attempt to reform the subsidized uh, opposition using CEQA uh, and an EIR um, opposition from community groups that where they get a free pass to say, yeah, you can you could uh, appeal any um, uh, decision using uh, CEQA to the next level of decision maker for free and um, and rely upon um, uh, uh, and, and use and use Sequoia as, as part of your tool for that. And I think that the barrier of entry to um, oppose things should be much much higher um, to reflect the um, a causation or the whatever the outcome might end up being that could be extremely important to a region or a, or a, or a, a downtown or a block. And so um, and I, and that's been a that's been attempted um, uh, locally through you know local. Uh, um, reform. And I think that um, that would be a a good change that would help uh, people understand exactly the impacts of what they're doing when they're opposing something using these rules.
1: That's a good idea. Yeah, Kristen, bring us home. All right, I'll be quick.
2: I would increase the infill exemption. The amount that uh, is allowed right now, I think it's 200 and it's just way too low.
3: That is a a tool to keep you from building housing because nobody wants to build less than 200 and manage apartments.
2: We agree, yes. And then overall, I would just simplify CEQA. I would just take my simple mind and just cover it all with simplicity. Um
1: so thank you. That's hard to do. It, it, <laughs> it's very complicated making things simple. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. thank you all for investing your time in the AEP community and sharing your professional opinions, your expertise. This has been highly engaging. And I hope that we can have you back to talk about more changes that we want in the future and I just want to say again, I really appreciate all of you and to the listeners out there. If you want to be um, a person in this field, making arguments, talking about things, making changes, really consider joining the Association of Environmental Professionals, where you can have another avenue of having an impact on these issues. Thanks, everyone, so much. Appreciate you. Thanks for having us all.
4: Thank Thank you. you. That was fun.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. As a new podcast, it really helps us if you share with friends and colleagues that may enjoy this podcast as well. And please subscribe or follow the podcast to be alerted for new episodes. If you want to submit a shout out, please send a voice memo that's under one minute to podcast at C-A-L-I-F-A-E-P dot org. That's podcast with an S at the end, podcast at C-A-L-I-F-A-E-P dot org. Or please send any feedback you'd love to share. Thank you.